Awesome. So beginning at Mark 15, 42, we're going to see three things today. We're going to see the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus. Let's take a look at the burial here, beginning at verse 42 of Mark 15. It says, Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. And so what we have in this section, again, is the details of Jesus' burial after his death. So we have to understand what we studied last week was that Jesus hanged on a cross and died for the sins of the world. This fulfilled John 1.29 that said that Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. You see that Passover lamb that protected the, the, the Hebrews, right? The, the, the Israelites that represented thousands of years before Jesus that one was coming. And that when he came and you put the blood of him upon your life, upon your heart, that that angel of death would pass over. <laughs> and see, Jesus came. He lived the perfect life according to the spirit of holiness. And he rose again and declared himself to be the son of God according to Romans 1.4. And see, we've talked about this. For Jesus to come and die in our place, <laughs> this shows us the great love of God for sinners like you and I. <laughs> if you get nothing out of this section this morning, I need you to understand this before you may turn off your ears. <laughs> God loves you, and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, we're told in 1 John 4.10. And you see, the reality is when we put our trust in who Jesus is, we have peace with God, according to Romans 5.1. <laughs> and see, you might say, well, He died. Okay, a good man died. Many good men have died before. Here's the deal. This section is going to tell us, He did indeed die, but He rose again. <laughs> this changes everything. Buddha died. Muhammad died. Many people have died. Everyone has died, by the way. Not, Jesus died. He rose again. <laughs> Jesus didn't stay dead. Amen? Amen? And see, that empty tomb, it shows that Jesus is who he said he is. See, he said in John 5, 24, he said, He who hears my word, meaning all the things that Jesus was saying, if you hear them, receive them, obey them, take them to trust in them, he says, and those that believe in him who sent me, Speaking of God the Father, he says, You will have eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but have passed from death into life. And see, Jesus says, That comes by faith in who I am. And then he said, I'm going to prove it by, by being raised again. I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it again. And see, by that, that measure, if he does that, then it shows that John 5.24 is true. Because you see, the wages of sin is death. Is Jesus dead? No. You know why? Because <laughs> the wages of sin are death, and he never sinned. <laughs> he 
He's perfect. He's holy. And it means he never lied. And see, everything he said is absolutely true. And the grave that is empty today proves that he was never a liar. <laughs> You have to understand this. The death alone of Jesus would be just a tragic thing. And if we didn't have the resurrection, we wouldn't know if it took. We wouldn't know if Jesus was telling the truth. But why I bring that all up right here is because it says that, that it was the, the evening had come and it was the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. Now this in the Greek is paras yue. It means the day on which the Jews made necessary preparation to celebrate a Sabbath or a feast. All the work had to be concluded Friday evening, and then they would take the rest on Saturday. Jesus died at 3 p.m., so there's a couple hours before the sun will set that day. They have to work to basically get Jesus a proper burial. That's what Joseph of Arimathea is showing up for. And see, in this section, there's a conversation about Jesus truly being dead, you see, today, there are people that say Jesus never actually died. That's how he was able to walk out of the grave. He just was fainting, which is insane. <laughs> he didn't just faint. Many people died during the scourging, let alone everything else that Jesus went through. The this, this swoon theory that Jesus was just like, ah, oh, he just fell asleep for a little while. He took a nap. And he woke up and somehow walked, walked out of a place guarded with a big giant stone with Roman guards, with religious leaders waiting to destroy him if he were to walk out for sure. But yeah, maybe he just fell asleep or something. <laughs> no, no, no. This section shows us Jesus had truly died. This is important because not only does it mean he truly resurrected, but he actually died for the sins of man. You see, it wasn't just some partial swoon payment. <laughs> it was a complete payment and atonement for our sins. Amen? And so this man, Joseph of Arimathea, it says he was a prominent council member. And I think this is interesting. He's a rarity. This is a guy who was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was that like 70-man council, a religious supreme court of the Jews of sorts. They're the ones that decided that Jesus was a blasphemer. They hated Jesus, generally speaking. But we are told specifically in Matthew 27, 57, that this man, Joseph of Arimathea, he had become a disciple of Jesus. And so he was a Sanhedrin member, but he also believed upon Jesus. That's a very rare thing in that time. We're told in Luke 23, 50 through 51, that he was a good and just man who had not consented to the decision indeed of putting Jesus to death. And see, that's why this took courage to go to Pilate and say, I want the body of Jesus. Think about what the Sanhedrin decided. Imagine if the Supreme Court decided that, hey, this man is this, this criminal. We've decided this person is a criminal. He needs to die. Imagine a member of the Supreme Court afterwards say, imagine this man gets the death penalty and says, hey, can we get his body and give him a proper burial, proper ceremony? Can we do that? That would be like, who are you? I thought you voted against us. I thought you were on our side. This is going to absolutely, if the word gets out that Joseph of Arimathea is, is coming to minister to the body of Jesus after death, man, this is going to isolate him. It's going to threaten his position, his prestige. <laughs> All the things that the rest of the Sanhedrin killed Jesus for. Man, at this point, Joseph of Arimathea says, this isn't right what happened. <laughs> And so he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask this Roman governor, who is not a nice guy, generally speaking. <laughs> I'm going to say, hey, can I have the body of the one who called himself king of the Jews to give him a good burial here? Think about what we're talking about. <laughs> this is a radical decision, a radical proclamation. We're told in John 19, 38, that 
Joseph had previously been a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. I have to throw this out, and I'm going to go young people first. <laughs> I remember being young and thinking, man, the only way I can serve Jesus and keep my life the way it is is by being a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. If I don't talk about Jesus, I won't get isolated and get in trouble for it. And it's funny, I want to say it's a youth issue. That's an issue for all of us. <laughs> I hit you guys first because I think when we're young, we think that people's opinions really matter. You'll find out as you get older, it doesn't, okay? People, it doesn't. We all know that. Amen? You know what? Live unto the Lord, not for men, okay? The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe, according to Proverbs 29, 25. And see, for us, we have all these reasons why we don't want to put the bumper sticker on our car. <laughs> we have all the reasons that we don't want to wear the shirt. Right? We have all the reasons that we don't want to put the verses on our desk. Can I just tell you, man, proclaim Jesus with everything you have while you have the opportunity. I believe that this section shows that Joseph, man, he wanted to serve Jesus, but he was fearful. And now that he saw what Jesus, the great price that he had paid, he was, man, I can, I can pay the price too. <laughs> If Jesus was willing to die for me, I'm willing to lose my position with the Sanhedrin if they find out. I'm willing to risk my reputation to be on Jesus' side. And see, it says in verse 44 that Pilate, he marveled. That's the word damazo. This means to wonder in amazement because he heard that Jesus was already dead. We have to understand this, that when people hanged and died on a cross, they sometimes hanged for days before they would die. It was an excruciating experience. That's actually where we get the English word excruciating from, from crucifixion. That's where we get that word. It was an excruciating experience, and you would, it, was, it was terrifying. But if you remember, in John 10, 18, Jesus said, I, no one takes my life from me. <laughs> I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. He says, this commandment I've received from my Father in heaven. A sign that he's giving to people. Hey, when I lay down my life of my own accord, when I yield my spirit, as it said he did in Matthew 27, 50, it proved that he wasn't lying when he said that. And now Pilate says, no, no one dies from just hanging on a cross for six hours. That doesn't happen. What do you mean he's dead already? And so what he does, he goes and gets a centurion. And I think it's interesting. It says in the New King James that he, he found out from the centurion and he summoned the centurion. I think this is the centurion that said, truly, this man was the Son of God. One of the men that stood by the cross and witnessed the whole experience. And they said, get the centurion. The centurion comes and says, no, he's dead. Without a doubt, he is dead. And see, this is important because it means that not just Jewish followers of Jesus proclaim that Jesus truly died. <laughs> See, because part of the swoon theory, part of the fainting theory that Jesus didn't really die is like, oh, well, his disciples wanted so badly in their heart to believe that Jesus didn't die. Here's a Roman that has no, like, investment in whether Jesus lives or dies or whatever. He says, no, he clearly died. And he died in a way that was, remember, <laughs> says the centurion saw all the things happening and said, man, truly this is the Son of God. He, this was ground, just, just absolutely, like, shattering to this centurion. And he comes and tells Pilate, and it says that Pilate actually gave a favorable response and committed the body of Jesus to Joseph. This was not normal interactions between a Sanhedrin leader and a, a, a Roman governor, <laughs> a centurion who's a Roman who's killed many people and been part of execution teams. They said, this is a different situation. And see, all of this works together, I think, to remind us of a couple things. That Roman centurion's life changed at the cross of Jesus. <laughs> I think there's no doubt, because he is just like, man, <laughs> no, he died. I haven't seen anything like it either. Pilate, 
Pilate is just trying to figure out what this means to him. Remember, his wife had already come and sent him and said, don't have anything to do with that just man, Jesus. I've suffered many things in a dream because of him. And now you have this guy, Joseph, who's a Sanhedrin member. He's like, I actually care for this man who resisted, it seems, everything that we put out and everything we do. You have three people who are so confused of what to do to Jesus, but they're finally all kind of saying, no, he did what he said he was going to do. He died. He laid down his life. He yielded his spirit. Joseph says, man, this isn't right what happened. I want to give him a proper burial. And Pilate says, man, I'm going to allow you to do that. <laughs> it breaks my heart, though, because why couldn't these men have just gotten it together before Jesus died on the cross? <laughs> but let's be clear. The Lord, God the Father, had his perfect plan in mind. Amen? But so many times... <laughs> It's so late by the time we finally go, man, I should have done this earlier. <laughs> this is a theme we're going to see in this section of Scripture. If you're here today and you're like halfway in on Jesus, can I just tell you, the time is now. Don't wait till later and go, man, I should have dealt with this back here when I was worried about the opinions of man. I should have done this back here when I was worried about keeping my job. I should have done this back here when I was worried about what I would look like. Forget those things. <laughs> Serve Jesus in loyal faithfulness today. <laughs> And see, it's interesting. It says that in John 19, 39, that Nicodemus was one of the guys that came, and him and Joseph of Arimathea came and took the body of Jesus. Nicodemus was the guy that came to Jesus by night in John 3 and said, hey, how can one even like, come into the kingdom of heaven? This is like this incredibly prominent, highly regarded religious leader. And Jesus had to tell him, you can't come into the kingdom unless you're born again. Remember, Nicodemus, the guy that's so studied, knows everything. He's like, how do you do that? That sounds really weird, right? I'm a grown old man. I'm supposed to be like born again somehow. He's like, you're not getting it, right? And in that section, that's the famous section of John 3.16 where he explains God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, in his death, his resurrection, all of the things that he says, then he will inherit eternal life and will not perish. And see, I think that message sat with Nicodemus in his heart and he wrestled with it for three and a half years probably while Jesus was doing ministry. And Nicodemus just couldn't bring himself to commit to Jesus Well, man, he had an opportunity to walk with him, to be with him, but instead, he didn't want to risk it. <laughs> and now, he's like, man, I have to imagine there's regret in the hearts of Nicodemus, in the heart of Joseph of Arimathea, of Pilate. <laughs> People are like, man, we did the wrong thing when we had the opportunity to do what was right. <laughs> But praise the Lord for them finally coming around and starting to do the right things. <laughs> Serving Jesus now. Can I tell you what's beautiful about this? Is that this is recorded in our Bible here. Joseph of Arimathea is not recorded as, oh man, what a loser. He didn't stand for Jesus back here. He's recorded as a man that said, man, he finally came and ministered unto Jesus as he always should have. This is a message of mercy and grace. Amen? The Lord is long-suffering towards us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance according to 2 Peter 3.9. And see, in this case, we just see this, this change. But I think it's awesome. Verse 47, again, it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. We talked about this last week. Here are some like, religious leaders, a centurion, a Roman governor. These guys are like having this conversation about what to do with Jesus' body. Where are the disciples? <laughs> the guys that said, we'll never back down, Jesus. We'll be with you everywhere. You have these outsiders and some women who in their community, this was, again, their, their testimony was not accepted in the court of law. 
So here's some women and some Romans and some religious leaders that oppose Jesus and the disciples are nowhere to be found. <laughs> I think this is a reminder to me that I, I make a lot of big statements about how strong I think I am in the Lord sometimes, I think. And it's like, man, you better... It's been said, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? I don't know what, what, wise prophet, what wise prophet that was, but yeah, shout out. The reality is, those guys thought that they would be with Jesus, and they're nowhere to be found in this section, but these women, <laughs> these women were so faithful, just like, man, we're going to keep an eye on where they're going to put Jesus' body, and they have intentions to come and give him more of a proper burial after the Sabbath. So take a look. We're going to see the resurrection of Jesus. Spoiler alert, but here we go. Verse 1 through 5 in uh, Mark 16. It says, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. <laughs> I love statements like that. They were alarmed. You're like, that's an understatement for sure of what's being experienced here. But the women discover this empty tomb. And in verse 1, it says it was when the Sabbath was passed. Remember, we talked about this. On a Saturday, they would have that Sabbath. They wouldn't do work. This is why Joseph of Arimathea came. He said, hey, Jesus died at 3. We have to get him off that cross. May we take his body. Um, and can we, can we give him some kind of proper burial? But it was, a haste, it was done hastily. It was like, man, we got to stop working based upon that Jewish, Jewish example that they took from Scripture as, as God re rested the seventh day. They said, we must rest. But remember... They had all these man-made traditions that got real weird, like you could only carry so many figs before it became work, so guys would like carry them in their shirt and be like, oh, we're not breaking the Sabbath. It got re really weird. People would carry things with their feet instead of their hands and be like, we found a loophole in the Sabbath rule made by man. We're, we're so weird. We all do things like that, by the way. I'm still holy, but I'll find a loophole to do whatever I feel like doing, right? And then also judge you in it. <laughs> this is what these men did. But in this case, they understood, man, we can't be going out and doing all this work of prepping Jesus' body until the Sabbath is over, which would happen then on, at, at, at sunrise. But this is awesome here. It says in verse 1, they got the stuff together in verse 2 very early in the morning on the first day of the week. They went out. I think this is cool because we see the fervent commitment of these women. John 20, verse 1 says they went to the tomb early while it was still dark. You were allowed to walk so far on a Sabbath, only so far. So it seems like they, they were literally counting down, measuring out, like, when is the soonest we can begin serving Jesus? <laughs> Where are the disciples, by the way? <laughs> they're, we're going to find out they're at home mourning and weeping and thinking, man, our rabbi's dead. Here are these women that are like, okay, whatever's happening... We just want to stand by Jesus right now. We just want to get to him. As soon as we can get to him, we want to be with him and we want to minister unto him, even in his death. That's wild. That's a hard place to serve. I think it's funny. Rex was talking about serving in babies, right? <laughs> this is a hard ministry. Your rabbi, your teacher, your friend, your brother Jesus has been killed. It would seem murdered. Now, again, we know Jesus ain't no victim. He's a heroic savior. Amen. But in this moment, they still think, Jesus, man, he died. We don't know what to do with this. But even though it's hard, we're going to go serve Jesus unto him to honor him for who he is. 
I think this is fun. Here's, okay, I, these are things we call rabbit trails sometimes. Okay, we're going to do one of these. This is something the Lord's put in my heart right now. You know service unto the Lord is not necessarily easy, right? Let me be clear. I believe ministry unto the Lord is simple in this. Rely on the Spirit of the Lord, honor His Word, and serve Him in spirit and in truth. Simple. That doesn't make it easy. There are times when you're going to say it's too hard to serve Jesus right now. It's, I'll wait till later. I'll wait to do it over here. These women said, as soon as we can do it, we are going to serve Jesus. <laughs> what are we waiting for? <laughs> That's not me promoting you go serve in ministry, by the way, in nursery and stuff. You're like, James just wants people in nursery. I'm telling you, wherever you're called by the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? Now, again, it has to be in his timing. It has to be as he leads, not for our glory, but for his. But these women, what do they have to gain from this? They're going to a tomb where no one's going to be there to celebrate them for that in the moment. No one even cares to do such a service in that moment. Do you know they're going to be the first ones that are going to experience the good news of the resurrection? There's something about that. When you serve Jesus, you're usually the first to realize how great he is, how alive he is, and how powerful he is. Amen? Serve the Lord wherever you're at. <laughs> I'm not just talking in the four walls of the church. I'm talking wherever you may go. So there's your brief encouragement from that section. But in verse, in verse 3, they said, right, this, this shows. They knew it wasn't necessarily going to be easy. They said, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Think about this. We're going to get up as early as we can, go serve the body of our dead rabbi. And there's a giant stone that we can't roll away, but we're going to figure that out when we get there? How many times has someone said, hey, man, look, at moving to Texas is going to be hard to plant a church because X, Y, and Z, and you're like, all right, I better not do it. Like, these are the temptations of our flesh. But when you realize, wait a minute, Luke 1.37 says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. These women go, we're called to minister to Jesus. We're going to do this. We don't know how, but we're going to courageously, boldly march towards that tomb that we know has a stone around it. We know there's a Roman, Roman guard, a troop of Roman guards there. We, it's controversial to be messing with the tomb of Jesus. They know that could be problematic. The religious leaders know, which is tragic. They believe that Jesus might rise again. And they're like, we've got to protect the tomb so his disciples don't make it look like he did. They believe Jesus' word enough to put a guard out there, but not enough to come into the promises of truth, the promises of new life. But these women said, we're going to go. And even though there's potential obstacles, we're going to go and trust that the Lord will take care of it. And see, it's interesting. We're told exactly how this occurred. In Matthew 28, 2, it says, There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. <laughs> I think that's cool. He just hung out on it afterwards. He's like, please, a stone. You thought that was going to work, right? <laughs> and it's funny because we're told the sight of the angel with the earthquake made the Roman guards, actually the ones that were there securing the tomb, they fainted and shook in fear. They became like dead men according to Matthew 27, 64, and it made a total clear path for the women to enter the tomb. This is awesome in so many levels, but I think about this, first of all. These guys are supposed to be the most big, brave, strong soldiers. One angel. One angel shows up, and they're like dead guys. <laughs> it's not even the resurrected Christ they saw. An angel. I don't know how strong you think you are, but man, God has your number. You need to humble yourself now before it takes something greater. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and see, this angel is there, rolls this thing away, and I think it's interesting. It says, open the tomb up. 
David Guzik, who I give a shout out almost every week, my favorite pastor, my favorite commentator and teacher, who I'm always asking to come teach for me. I'm, someday I'm going to convince him with the barbecue. I keep telling him, the barbecue's so good, dude. Just come here for the barbecue, right? He's busy, though. One of these days, hopefully he'll come out, but I quote him all the time. And it's always stuck with me. Several years ago, I remember him hearing him say this. He said, the, the, the stone at the tomb was not rolled away to let Jesus out. See, we know that Jesus was able to go through walls and locked doors, according to John's account. He shows up in the midst of these guys. The disciples are locked away. He's just like, hey, what's up, guys? Peace be with you. And they're like, what? <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about the stone. The stone is all the way to let us in. <laughs> that we may go in and inspect and realize that he's not in there. Jesus didn't need the stone to get rolled away. It's an invitation to come and explore the fact that Jesus is not dead. Today, you have the same invitation to say, come into the tomb, so to speak. Investigate it for yourself. Don't listen to what the History Channel says, okay? Don't listen to what your friends on TikTok say. For you guys, I don't know how TikTok works, but you guys do. Don't listen to what your friends on Facebook say, my crowd, okay? Don't listen to... I know, right? We're old people now. Facebook's our hangout spot. Like, MySpace used to be a thing. Facebook will go away eventually, probably, too. But the reality is, whoever's telling you these things, man, go investigate it for yourself. Jesus desires a personal relationship with you, and it begins with the cross of Jesus and the resurrection, the tomb. If you have not investigated these things for yourself, you can't take other people's opinions on this, but I'll tell you, indecision is a decision in regards to Jesus. You can't blame anyone else if you don't willingly go and pursue to find out who Jesus is. You'll still have to stand before God and say, man, you had an opportunity. Why didn't you look into it? <laughs> Why didn't you go and, and see what's here? And it's interesting. It says that they went in and they were alarmed because instead of finding Jesus' body there, they found what looked like a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. Clearly a glorious angel. It's interesting here. They walk in and, man, they're still thinking. We're here to anoint a body for burial. And they come in. So think about this. They think Jesus is dead. We know that much. But then they get in the tomb and they find out that Jesus is alive. Well, let me change that. Jesus is not in the tomb. They know that much. <laughs> this is interesting because you might say, no, Jesus died. History shows he died. I agree with you that Jesus died. The key is that he rose again. <laughs> you see, it's interesting. Someone tried to tell me the problem with Jesus' empty tomb is that we don't know which one is. There's two, right? There's a garden tomb. There's this other tomb. We don't know which one. I'm like, that should help you definitely know that Jesus is not dead. Because I know where the tombs of all these other guys are because they're in them. <laughs> we can't even figure out what tomb he was in, though we know he lived, though we know he died. If he was in there, it would make it a lot easier. But since he's not in there, we have to try to deduce where Jesus laid. You know why? Because Jesus, Jesus' tomb that he was in, it had belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. He had had it hewn for himself in the future that he would die. This is what they would do. It sounds kind of morbid to us. But the idea was, man, I'm going to put this place here for when I die and my family dies, this is where we'll be laid. He gave the very tomb. He said, I'm going to give this unto Jesus, but I love it. Jesus used it like an Airbnb. <laughs> he was out three days later. <laughs> He's like, thanks, high five, Joseph. Appreciate the donation. Man, I don't really need it though, right? The reality is he's not in there anymore. <laughs> he just came and went. <laughs> and I think this is so beautiful because when people try to tell you, oh, we don't even know what tomb. Yes, 
I know where Jesus resides now, first of all, at the right hand of the throne of God, and secondly, in the hearts of the believers through the power of His Spirit. Amen? Amen. Jesus is alive today. <laughs> Look at verse 6 through 8. It says, But He said to them, Do not be alarmed. <laughs> you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And so what happens here is they come and remember, they're alarmed. They see this, 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 this person, this, this guy, young man, sitting on the, on the, in the spot where they expected Jesus' body to be. And they're alarmed. And I love when angels do this. They're like, hey, don't be alarmed. <laughs> You're like, do you understand this is the scariest moment of my life, right? Like, I'm standing before this glorious angel. And he's like, hey, don't worry. I know you're here because you're looking for Jesus. And I think it's funny. The very same angel that sat, right, I believe, I know, there could be multiple angels, but okay, let's even say just the same type of angel that rolled back the stone. Whatever it is, an angel that caused the Roman soldiers to fall over in terror, the unbelievers, is here to comfort those who follow Jesus. And so it's interesting. We're told, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians 2.16 of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It says, To the aroma of one were the aroma, or I'm sorry, to the one were the aroma of death leading to death. To the other group were the aroma of life leading to life. And what that means is the gospel message is a double-edged sword. For those that don't believe in Jesus, to hear the message of Jesus is actually condemning and terrifying. For us that believe in the gospel, that have put our trust in Jesus, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is who he says he is and we're going to stand with him and be in his glory someday. That's terrifying to people that don't believe in Jesus. They want to do everything they can to deny it. And it's a scary idea that Jesus could be who he says he is. And see, when that angel showed up before the guys that didn't believe, they fell over like dead men. But now the women who came to minister to Jesus, he's like, hey, don't be afraid. I'm here to comfort you. And you see how this works, right? The Word of God comforts us while it alarms unbelievers. You remember in the world when someone would come and preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you got uncomfortable. It was offensive. Your heart would beat in your chest like it was going to pop out of your ribcage. It was so annoying when people would talk about Jesus. Interesting. When I was in the world and someone talked about Muhammad, Buddha, Whatever else, Baha'i faith, whatever thing is popular at the moment, my heart didn't do that. You know why that is? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And you're either going to submit to it, or you're going to reject it, but someday you're going to have to stand before God and answer for what you did with Jesus Christ. And see, these women, they come in, and they find this angel who's here, and I think it's awesome. Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. They come in, and they don't even realize they're standing in the spot where Jesus has basically celebrated, announced, proclaimed that, no, I've triumphed over death. <laughs> You're going to inherit salvation because of what Jesus has done by walking out of that tomb. Amen? <laughs> and so it's interesting here. It says in verse 6, the angel tells them, hey, you're seeking Jesus in Nazareth. He was crucified. That's a fact. He died on a cross. But he says, he's risen. <laughs> he's not here. Take a look at this place. He's, again... To investigate it. See if these words that are being sent by this messenger of God, see if they're true. And this is the very first time the good news of the resurrection has been proclaimed to mankind. 
See, when we see this section, it turns out they don't know what quite to do with all this stuff yet. For you and I, we come in here, and I, I love it, we say it all the time, like, come in with fresh eyes, with a fresh mind and a fresh heart today. If you're the first one ever to walk into the tomb after witnessing Jesus die on a cross, I don't think that we're so smart that we'd be like, oh, this is because he said he would rise again. We've heard this over and over and over again. They never put this together yet, and they're experiencing it for the first time. <laughs> and the angel is telling them things. Like, look at he's not here. <laughs> and they're like, well, maybe they just moved his body somewhere? We're kind of confused. Is this even an angel? Is this just some guy? Right? They're confused about everything that's happening. And we're told in Luke 24, 6 through 7, he says, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. So the angel starts quoting the words of Jesus to comfort their hearts and bring them out of their confusion to understand what has happened. Do you know Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You guys almost did it. You thought I was going to call you out for it, right? I know we always do that one. The reality is, as we study the Word, our faith grows. The faith that grows is that, that, man, the source of this Word tells us that Jesus is who He says He is. And this angel shows up and says, hey, you guys don't understand what's happening. Let me give you the words of Jesus. He said that He would die but rise again. Why are you confused? <laughs> he told you this. <laughs> I think angels are kind of funny throughout Scripture. They're kind of like, how do you guys not get it? Like, why is this a problem? We're told in 1 Peter 1, though, that they peer into these things, and they're like, God, really? This is the plan? This is how it works? They're kind of like, these people, I don't know about all of this, right? I'm peering in to see how this will work, it says. We're blessed to live in it and know it, but it's awesome. This angel's like, Jesus said it. I don't know why you guys are having trouble with this. <laughs> like, and in this section here, in Mark's account, what he also tells them is that he says, hey, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you'll see him as he said to you. More words of Jesus. Jesus said he would die, and he died. Jesus said he would rise again. Guess what? He's not in this tomb. And also, remember what he said, and basically what he's referencing here is what we studied in Mark 14, 28. Jesus told his disciples, after they all would deny him and scatter, <laughs> he said, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And it promised that he was going to rise again and he was going to reunite with them and he was going to be with his disciples again even though they had denied him. Note what happens here. <laughs> they say, go and tell his disciples and Peter. This is a special invitation for a guy who has a really special need at that time. <laughs> this is, hey, don't just tell the disciples that we think are, are stronger than Peter. Tell Peter too. <laughs> Peter is weak right now. Peter is depressed right now. Peter is just lamenting his decisions over the past couple days. <laughs> and Jesus is, through the angel, the angel says, hey, this is a message from God. That Jesus is going to rise again. He's going to reunite with his disciples, including Peter. This is such an encouraging word. Because if we had read this for the first time, and we finished at the end of, what was that, 14 or 15, whenever that was, when the denial happened, I think it was the end of 14. If we stop reading there, <laughs> man, it's like, Peter's definitely done, right? Like, there's no way Peter continues to be anyone of any significance with Jesus Christ. Do you understand that Peter becomes one of the main leaders in the early church? Does that encourage you? <laughs> that encourages me so very much. <laughs> because if the Lord only used those who were perfectly equipped, 
and that are perfectly holy, there's no service that's going to happen on the face of this planet. Jesus Christ himself alone is holy, perfect, and equipped. Amen? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. <laughs> We've heard Pastor Chuck say that for years. And the reality is, Peter, before the Holy Spirit, man, he's kind of a wild man. <laughs> He's swinging a sword like a ninja trying to deliver Jesus, cutting people's ears off. He's denying Jesus after saying he's stronger than everyone else. And it says, hey, make sure you tell Peter that Jesus is going to reveal himself to him too. Jesus is going to show up. He's going to be with him. And we know that Jesus eventually did these things. He fulfilled his word. He shows up on the beach in John 21, I believe it is. And he restores Peter three times, once for every time that he denied him. This morning, you might say, maybe I've outsinned the cross of Jesus. Maybe I've outsinned the grace of God. Can I tell you that you have not outsinned it? If you're alive today, you have an opportunity to repent. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, according to Psalm 103.12. And then in 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Last note on this, Psalm 51, when David is writing his psalm about his, his sin that he committed in murdering Uriah and taking his wife, he calls to the Lord, cleanse me, purge me, wash me, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Do you remember what David's title was in, I think it's 1 Samuel 13, 14? A man after God's own heart. A murderer and an adulterer, but he trusted in the cleansing of the Lord and the Lord was faithful to do it. <laughs> I don't know what you've committed. I don't know, maybe it's murder or adultery. That's wild. But hey, whatever it is, the Lord can bless you, right? We always like, oh, those are the big ones. Look at the Lord's faithful to cleanse you from those things. The Lord is able, and he proved it because he rose from the grave. He's able to conquer all things, sin and death, both here on this earth and in eternity, if you put your trust in him. Amen? And see in verse 8 again, it says, They left quickly and fled from the tomb, and they trembled and were amazed. They said nothing to anyone. We're like, wait a minute, is that disobedience? They didn't say anything to anyone? You read the other gospel accounts, you see they went and did what they were supposed to do. What this phrase is talking about, I don't know if you've ever been here, but you're basically speechless by what the Lord has just done. <laughs> you don't even know how to explain it, what to say, what to do. It means that they didn't even talk to each other, it seems, on the way out of this tomb. They didn't even like, try to figure out their story together. They're like, we don't even, I don't even know what to do right now. We better just go obey the end. Go tell the disciples. <laughs> And see, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that where you just walk out of the Lord and you're like, man, I can't even put it into words. I wish I could. It wouldn't even do it justice. <laughs> but just, I'm just going to tell you the simple things. Jesus is alive. <laughs> and see, that's what we're going to see occurs here. We're actually told that they went and they were, they were afraid. It says in verse 9, it says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. <laughs> okay, so here's the women at the tomb. Seems like the Lord, uh, the message that the Lord is no longer here and he's risen has been told to them. Seems like several of the women leave. We're told there's many, multiple women here throughout the different accounts. Seems like most of them take off. But it seems that Mary Magdalene hangs out a little bit. This is, again, we can kind of put it together. We say, how do all these accounts work together? I believe she's been told the news, but she's the first one that Jesus actually appears to. Does that make sense? They all heard the news, but she actually is going to see Jesus here. And it says that he appeared, you know, again, appeared to her first. 
And who is he appearing to? Let's, let's note this. This is important. <laughs> this is a woman, so we already said in their culture, that, that her testimony would not be upheld in a court of law in their time. Now, it's interesting, according to the Talmud, if you read through it, there's certain things. One of the things also is they won't take the testimony of someone that's had any kind of mental disorder or mental issue. This woman has previously been possessed by seven demons. <laughs> this is not the witness you start with if you're making this up. <laughs> Don't start with Mary Magdalene, the formerly demon-possessed woman. That makes no sense to start here. Start with, like, Nicodemus. Start with Joseph. Start with Pilate. <laughs> no. He starts with the humble, lowly Mary Magdalene. And I love it because she came with the women to minister unto Jesus, and they all end up getting ministered to by Jesus. <laughs> they just humbly came to say, we're just going to serve Jesus. And yeah, here's Mary, who, man, you have to imagine, she, she got delivered from seven demons. I'll tell you who delivered her of those demons. Jesus. <laughs> It explains why she is so committed to who Jesus is and stay at his grave, even when it seemed that all hope was lost. She says, I'm not losing hope over this. I'm going to go hang out at the tomb. Man, may we have an experience of understanding what Jesus pulled us out of, that it would make us commit to him even in the hardest moments. Amen? I hope you don't forget what you came out of. Let me be clear. We don't dwell on the past. We meditate on these good things ahead. Amen? But if you start to believe that, like, ah, oh, man, no, you know, I, I could have, I could have, I was good. You know, Jesus chose me because I'm just so, so precious. <laughs> Can I just tell you, you are saved by mercy and grace. All of us have been, amen? And see, sometimes we start to go like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, like, I never had these things. Mary remembers what the Lord saved her from. And it actually created a faithfulness and a loyalty to Jesus. So I just tell you that, someone told me this one time. The past should be like the rearview mirror and the future should be like the windshield in proportion to what I'm looking at. If you just drove looking at your rearview mirror, you're going to destroy yourself. <laughs> but you got to check that rearview mirror every so often. It's important. Don't live in it, but be checking it every so often. And go, man, I hope there's a big mark difference between who I used to be <laughs> and who I am now. I, you know, Mary would say, I used to be possessed by seven demons. She's clearly not possessed by seven demons anymore because she came to Jesus. Amen? There should be a marked difference in sanctification in our lives that shows everyone. And again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. Here's this lowly woman. She comes here, and she's, the Lord's just revealing it to himself to her. And we're actually told in John 20, verse 11, that she stood out the outside of the tomb weeping. So she's brokenhearted. She's faithful, but she's brokenhearted here. And in John 20, 15... We have Jesus who suddenly arrives, and it says that she didn't know who he was. He looked like a gardener. It's always a weird kind of detail, right? You're like, how, what? But it seems like after Jesus resurrected, we, we're going to see this in a minute again, that he always, he looked different than what anyone expected him to look like post-resurrection, post whatever that looks like. And she says, thinking that he's like the, the gardener, she says, hey, where have you carried him away? Like, tell me, and I'll, I'll go get his body so I can, I can anoint him. So she's still thinking that he's dead or something. And in that moment, we're told in John 20, 16, all Jesus says is Mary. And see, Jesus said that the sheep, they would know and recognize the voice of their shepherd. And see, Jesus, the good shepherd, according to John 10, 11, he's the good shepherd because he gives his life for the sheep. He calls out one of his sheep's name and says, Mary. And she responds, Rabboni. 
teacher, dear teacher, master, Lord, whatever you want to translate that as. And she gripped him so tight. <laughs> We're told in John 20, 17 that Jesus had to say, hey, don't cling to me. I still have to like ascend. I think Jesus is kind of joking here like, dude, you're holding me so tight. I'm not going to be able to go into heaven right now. <laughs> you're so excited. You're so overwhelmed with joy because you've seen that I'm not dead, but I'm alive. Amen. I hope we have a joy as believers that people go, there's something different. What is the difference? It's the fact that Jesus is alive. <laughs> that in his, his, his Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God is indwelling in us according to 1 Corinthians 3.16. And as we yield to it, we no longer walk in the flesh. We, we desire to walk in the Spirit. Doesn't mean we don't fall short. But we should desire to yield to the Spirit, as Galatians 5.16 says. And as we do that, people go, there's a difference. You went from being miserable before Jesus', you know, Jesus announcement that he's alive, and now that you've experienced the risen Jesus, you're different. <laughs> Everything has changed. And it says what she did, she actually she went and told those who had been with him, they were mourning and weeping. This is the disciples. These guys are crying and weeping over Jesus. They haven't come to the tomb yet. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're just hanging out and they're sad. And it says when they heard that he was alive, and seen by her, they didn't believe it. <laughs> Again, who are we talking about? The disciples of Jesus. The guys that listened to Jesus teach over and over and over about his death and his resurrection, and they're up somewhere crying and weeping, and they don't even believe it when Mary brings the good news. <laughs> I think, again, we're like, how are these guys still qualified, Jesus? <laughs> Can I tell you, that's you and I, though. Think of all the times you sat through church services and were like, eh, this is like a religious thing. This is like for religious people that need a crutch or something. And then you realize one day that he is alive. He reveals himself to you and you're like, man, I should have believed that report back there. <laughs> I should have put my trust in that. Amen? If you're here today and you're like, man, this room is full of people that need crutches because they're religious weirdos, I'm telling you, you're going to have to stand before the Lord someday. Make your decision now for Jesus Christ. Amen? And so look what happens here, 12 through 13. It says... After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. <laughs> We're seeing a trend here, right? The disciples just ain't believing anybody right here. And so these two guys, it says that there was two of them. It seems that they're two of the group that were hanging out with the disciples. They were disciples of Jesus, not, not two of the apostles, but remember, Jesus had many disciples. We see that he sends out 70 at one point in one of the Gospels. He had many that followed him. But these guys were hanging out. They heard the reports of, the report of Mary. The other lady said, hey, we heard from an angel that Jesus is risen. Mary shows up, backs it up by saying, no, I actually clung to him. I saw him resurrected. These guys leave like, no, I don't think that's really true. I don't know what to do with all this. It's really weird. And it says, it's, it's interesting. It says in Luke's account, which is much more in depth, Luke 24, 13 through 35, this is the two, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. If you've ever read that section. It's a really cool section. These guys are walking out of Jerusalem. They're headed to Emmaus. That was about seven miles. I believe it was, it's seven miles from Jerusalem. I forget what direction, sorry. But it's seven miles. And it's enough ample time to say, man, we're going to walk for a while. It's like going on a road trip. You're going to have t stuff to talk about. You're probably going to get kind of deep on some things because you're just hanging out. You've already got over the, 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 the usual greetings and stuff. Now you're just hanging out for a while. Well, these guys are going back home, which I think is interesting. They're leaving Jerusalem probably super, I mean, we know. They're super disappointed. They're sad. And they start talking to each other. According to Luke, they're actually talking together of the things that had happened. 
They're talking about the reports, talking about the actual events of the cross. And it seems that they're trying to figure out, like, what is, what is this all about? What does this all mean? And it says that Jesus appeared to them in another form. I don't think that means another form than what Mary saw. I think another form than what they expected. Again, I don't think Jesus keeps changing what he looks like. I think it's that no one expected Jesus to look the way he did. It was a different form than what he looked like before the cross. And these guys were told in Luke, their eyes were like, they, they, they couldn't see Jesus. Jesus made it in a way where they couldn't see them at this moment. They didn't understand who he was. And Jesus walks up to them on the road. And remember, they're disappointed because their guy is dead. Their Lord is dead. And he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about that makes you so sad? That's what Jesus says in Luke. I see that you're sad, and I'm here to make sure you don't stay sad. <laughs> Do you know that Jesus has a heart for you to bring you into comfort and to peace? And I'm speaking not about prosperity gospels. I'm talking about eternally, spiritually. There's a fountain down the road here. I love it. It has John 14, 27 on it. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. One of the first signs that this wicked and perverse generation needed when I was praying, Lord, show me where to plant a church, I pulled in and saw that sign on the fountain. <laughs> and I thought, man, who puts that scripture on a fountain? I'm from California. That, that doesn't happen, Right? And when I walked up and read that, I said, man, the Lord's given me peace where I prayed for peace where I should plant this church. And we still didn't even end up here for another year or something, year and a half. We started my home. <laughs> but it's funny, the Lord is good to give us peace today practically in the things that we're praying through, amen? He'll speak if we're willing to listen. He'll sometimes speak through, again, it should always align with his word. That was cool because I'm a big word of God guy. I want the word to confirm what I'm doing. There was a statue with the word of God on it out here. And I'm like, wow, like, okay, well, maybe it's still not the Lord, though. I better pray some more, right? So silly. And so here we are. <laughs> Don't think I'm here because I have some great faith. I think the Lord can speak through donkeys and I qualify, okay? And so <laughs> the reality is we see this desire. He says, I don't want you guys to walk around miserable. I want you to know peace. And you know what he does in that section in Luke? It says in Luke uh, 24, 27, he says, it says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Listen, I don't know what the best study you've ever heard in your life is, but it would not compare to Jesus teaching a section, all through the Bible, about where he appears in scripture that pointed to his death and resurrection. I want to hear that message someday. <laughs> I'm hoping there's like, I don't know, some kind of podcast in heaven where we can listen to that. That would be awesome. I want to know this. Again, we'll be with him, so maybe I don't need that anymore. But the idea is, <laughs> man, the Lord says, I'm going to come and teach you and show you why you shouldn't be sad anymore. I'm coming to show you why you should have joy and why you should have hope. And it says in that section in Luke that they're walking with him. They're still not totally getting it, but the whole time Jesus is teaching them. Like, that's an awesome journey. Seven miles, Jesus is teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. They don't know it's Jesus. They go inside the house and, and, and they get to their village and Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to keep going. And like, no, come abide with us, they say. And I love that word abide. They say, hey, come abide with us. And you know what Jesus did? He says, okay, have you invited me in? I'll come sit down and eat with you. I'll have a meal with you. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. <laughs> Jesus says that in his glory in Revelation. He lived it out here right after the resurrection. And he's showing these guys, If you invite me in, I'll come be with you and I'll reveal myself to you. And sure enough, when he's breaking bread with them, it says that moment it was lifted from their eyes and they saw him for who he was. And this is funny. Then Jesus vanished from their presence. Like, ah, man. Like, that's kind of a bummer, right? You're like, no, hang out now. We know it's you. 
But it's interesting. I think Jesus did that just to be like, man, you got work to do. I showed you who I am. Now go tell everyone. Our desire is like, okay, Jesus shows us who he is. And now I just want to stay here and just hang out with Jesus on the mountaintop forever. Remember what Peter said at Transfigure... Again, our boy Peter, right? Transfiguration. Jesus, we should just hang out here and build tents and live up here. <laughs> no, go back down the mountain. <laughs> go tell everyone. Actually, he's told, first of all, they aren't going to believe you. Eventually, they'll know this. They'll understand it. But go back down the mountain where there's attack, where there's ministry, where there's things to be done. You can't just live up on the mountain. Guys, in the Maus, you can't just stay here and hang out with me. I have something for you to do. And sure enough, they go, man, it, it, this is a cool statement. They actually said in Luke 24, 32, they said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? I talked about it earlier, and this, this is the idea where I get this from. When you hear the word of God, it does something in your heart and your soul. You're like, man, there's something different about this. This isn't just some New York Times bestseller. It is, but it's not just that. This is a book that has been the word of God assembled in one place that has been attacked every single day since it's been written, and it still stands strong. It prophesied the future. It tells history before it happens. It should make our heart go, man, there's something different here. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow, we're told in Hebrews 4.12. It discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you open up the word, man, it cuts you. Amen? But it's a good cutting. We need to be cut. We need to surrender. We need to be humiliated before the Lord at times in the sense of being humbled and say, Lord, let me recommit to you today. And see, these guys were doubting everything. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you in your doubt. I'm not going to leave you in your sadness. I'm going to come and teach you so that you may have joy. Amen? But it's funny. They went and told everyone no one believed them. <laughs> David Guzik, I'll quote him again. He says, equal opportunity doubters. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't believe the women? And we're like, oh, it's because they're women, right? Nope. Some of their own showed up and like, no, nah, we still don't believe you. Again, the guys that were the closest to Jesus. Look at, look at 14 through uh, 18 here. It says, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. We'll talk about that in a minute. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. <laughs> so Jesus appears to these guys. I think it's interesting. He keeps showing himself. He reveals himself. The message comes to some ladies, and those, those ladies believe just the word. That's awesome. They run off with just the word. Then Mary gets this like short experience of one word. Mary. She believes it. A little more revelation, and she believes it. Then we have the witnesses on the road to Emmaus, and they get like an in-depth Bible study to believe. But still, the Lord met them where they're at and gave them what they needed. The disciples, in a Bible study, a little clinging, that wouldn't do it. He shows up and we're told that he actually enters the room. We talked about this. In John's account, it says the doors were locked and shut because the disciples, the 11, they were afraid of the Jews. The big brave guys that said they would stand for Jesus are locked in an upper room somewhere because they think that they're going to get killed next. And yet the women <laughs> are out serving Jesus. Joseph and Nicodemus, people that were on the council that fought against Jesus, they're out serving. The disciples are a bunch of scaredy cats at home. 
And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, peace be with you. And I think that's funny because they're scared the minute they see Jesus. Again, big, strong guys that knew Jesus. They're like, what, what is happening? They were frightened. They thought he was a ghost or a spirit, it says. And he says, no, 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 I'm not a ghost or spirit. I'm, I'm resurrected. Come and touch my wounds. Feel these things. And that's the section where he, Thomas, right? Thomas is my Lord and my God. And that's where the Lord tells him in John 20, 29. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think any of us in here, I can say this with certainty, you haven't put your fingers in the wounds of Jesus physically. But Jesus has revealed himself to you for who he is. Amen? And you know this now and praise the Lord for that. We haven't seen him physically. Someday we will stand before him and we will see him in his glory. Amen? We should be excited for that. But it's funny. These guys constantly rejecting who Jesus is in the sense of like not believing that he's resurrected, I should say. And then what's Jesus say? He's like, well, hey guys, good knowing you. I'm going to see my way out of here and get a bunch of new disciples now. <laughs> no. He says, man, it says that he rebuked them for their unbelief. And then you know what he says in 15? Hey, go fulfill my great commission. You're my guys. I've chosen you. I've called you. I want you to be the ones that go out. Even though you wouldn't believe until you felt the physical wounds, I still want you to be my guys. I don't know how you struggle in your faith in the Lord, but let me tell you, the Lord wants to use you today for what he created you for. Don't disqualify yourself in saying, oh man, I don't know, I'm just not strong enough. It was never about you, amen? It was never about you being strong enough. It's about the Lord being alive and his, this power of the Spirit working in and through broken vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that God puts this glory, this awesome thing in broken vessels that the glory may not be of us, but of Him. People look at a jacked up vessel like this, they're like, how does that work? And then hopefully, hopefully, people go, that must be the Lord. And see, God chose these men and He tells them, I want you to go into the world and preach to every creature. And we're like, does that mean like cows and horses or something? No. This is terminology used because Jewish people decided that Jews were the ones chosen by God. Everyone else, every other race, ethnicity, were invented, created by God to stoke the flames of hell. They don't need the gospel because they're not elect like us. They can go burn in hell. You know there's a movement that says that there's people that God designed just to burn in hell? That is not doctrinal by Scripture. Dual election is not found in Scripture. We are predestined, elected by God, but do not think that means that God created people just to burn in hell. That contradicts Scripture repeatedly. And we can have a conversation about that afterwards. You might say, well, how does it work? We'll find out how that works in heaven, but I'll tell you, Scripture tells us that's not what God intended man to do. Jesus Christ came and died for the sins of the world. Do you know that they get, there's, there's a movement that changes that and says, no, 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 he died for the sins of the elect. He didn't die for the world. They don't do it with other scriptures where it's inconvenient to their theology, but they do it in places like that, and it's a gross misrepresentation of the character of God as a violation of who He is based on scripture. Not in my opinion, based on scripture. Amen? Amen? I say that because it's a big movement that's very popular here in Texas. And see, it's interesting, I run into it often, and people will actually be like, how dare you say God doesn't create people to go to hell? I'm like, what are we talking about right now? <laughs> I'm the crazy guy for believing that God does not desire that any would perish? Ezekiel 18.32 says, Turn and repent that you may live because I don't desire that any should perish? Old Testament, New Testament, God does not make man to die but that he would repent and believe. Amen? Amen. Do not think I'm not going to preach to someone because they might not be chosen. Preach to everybody. Let the Lord sort them. Amen? <laughs> 
And see, they're told, go out and preach to everybody, which is funny. These guys are locked in a room, and Jesus says, hey, I want you to go out into the world and tell everyone. Not exactly the most bold, like, strong men you would pick, probably. <laughs> and he says, I want you to go out. And he says, but don't worry. He says, you need to go out and you need to preach this. Preach the gospel. Remember, that's what Jesus showed up and did in Mark 1.15. He said, uh, repent and believe in the gospel. First words of Jesus. And here he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. <laughs> Very simple statement. If you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, according to Romans 10.9. Amen? Now, this verbiage here, people have taken it and said, therefore, you must believe in equally as important as faith is you must be water baptized. And if you don't, then you're condemned. That's not what the verse went on to say. It says here in 16, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Do you know why he doesn't have to specify or baptize? Because baptism was a commandment of Jesus Christ. When you believe who Jesus is, you know what you're going to do? You're going to fulfill the commandments in the sense you're going to obey his word. Amen? If you don't believe, of course you're not going to get baptized. <laughs> but if you believe, there should be actions that follow that prove that you're proclaiming that you died with Christ in that, upon that cross, but you rose again with him from that grave. Amen? Let me be clear. Baptism is an important, essential thing we want to do as believers. Amen? Jesus commanded it. But the thief on the cross didn't get water baptized. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But remember, the thief on the cross was busy dying. <laughs> You have life to live. Live it in obedience to the commandments of Jesus. Be baptized if you haven't been baptized. Amen? If you haven't been baptized and want to be, come see me at the service. We'll figure it out. We had a baptism a couple months ago, but we're always ready to baptize. <laughs> we want to obey the commandments of the Great Commission here. And the last thing here, it's interesting, all the, all the signs that are there. He says these signs are going to follow. And he, he lists off some things. They'll cast out demons. We've seen Jesus and his disciples do that. We've seen those things happen today says they'll speak with new tongues. People get weirded out on this section. They're like, what does that mean? Does this mean the prayer language that we see in Corinthians? Does this mean like Acts 2, where it's a sign to man? I think Acts 2 stuff, because it says these are going to be signs. The Greek word here for in this section for signs is this word semion, and it means a sign to the unbelievers that the Lord's with you. We're told in 1 Corinthians 14, be careful how you use tongues, because unbelievers might look at you in your prayer language and be like, that guy's crazy. But in Acts 2, they were able to hear the words of the tongue that was spoken and they heard it in their own dialect and responded and it was a fulfillment of Joel 2 that the Holy Spirit would be poured about, out upon his church. Now I believe there's clearly a prayer language of tongues. There's also this thing that the Lord says, man, I'm going to use you in ways where you're going to speak the truth and people are going to hear it and receive it. I think it's both things. Does that make sense? <laughs> but the sign is unto those unbelievers that they would see these things and know that God was with them. One of the things is they would take up serpents and drink poison and not die from it. I have to highlight this. Don't worry, I know. We're done. Almost done. I have like two verses and we're done. Hang with me. There's people in the United States, I looked this up, my wife walked in and was like, what are you reading right now, okay? There's snake handling churches. She probably thought I was getting ideas for Sunday or something. Like, are you bringing a rattlesnake to church on Sunday? <laughs> They actually get snakes and let the snakes bite them to show everyone that they belong to God. And in 20, I think it was 2014, a man named James Coons from Kentucky, pastor, got bit by a rattlesnake in his church and fell over and died in the pulpit. And everyone was like, we just don't know what happened, man. Like, we, we, we know. <laughs> what? <laughs> you don't know what happened? The venomous snake bit him and he was tempting the Lord his God. Don't tempt the Lord your God. That's not what this section says. People get weird ideas on how they need to prove themselves. Oh man, you've got to have the gift of tongues if you belong to Jesus. 
That's not true based on scripture. You got to be able to let snakes bite you and not die from the venom. That's not scriptural. People are like, well, Paul got bit by a snake on accident. <laughs> he didn't go pick it with, like, he's shipwrecked, right? He's just trying to build a fire. And remember, everyone around's like, dude, this guy must be like a murderer. He didn't die in the shipwreck. Now there's snakes biting him. And then he recovered. And the people there were like, he must be a god, which is funny, right? We're either going to demonize or idolize people. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's just because the Lord's good. He protected me. <laughs> Paul didn't go out and do these things to show people. Let me just tell you what this says. The Lord's going to protect you as you trust in him. You might say, I don't know, I'm living a hard life. It doesn't always mean physically. But do you know eternally you are guarded and protected? You belong to the Lord if you have that Holy Spirit in you, as Ephesians 1 says. Amen? You might have hard times, but even then, when you encounter hard things, the Lord has a way of preserving his people. And we'll close it out with this. Look at 19 and 20. It says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word to the accompanying signs. Amen. <laughs> One of my favorite words. Amen. <laughs> and see, the way this all ends is that Jesus, we're told in Acts 1, that he was at Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and he gives the guys their marching orders, so to speak. He tells them in Acts 1, he says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Wait. You know why? You can't serve the Lord properly without the Holy Spirit. Amen? Not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4, 6. And Jesus blesses them as He ascends into heaven with His hands out. He had told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are in McKinney, Texas today. I think that's about as far ends of the earth from Jerusalem as you can go. I feel like if you got a globe and kind of just went over, you'd kind of wind up in McKinney. I feel like close to it, right? Here we are, filled with his spirit, called to fulfill the great commission in the ends of the earth. <laughs> and see, I don't know about you guys, that makes me excited because <laughs> we're actually told after he ascended, they stood there and they gazed up into heaven. And they were standing there. And you know what the angels told them? The angels that were there after Jesus ascends, they come and tell the disciples, they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Amen? There was a finality to what Jesus did at the Mount of Olives. He says, I'm going into heaven for everyone to see that the servant has now been put into glory because I am the Son of God. <laughs> And he says, the angels say, you better be ready. He's coming back the same way. I believe that Zechariah 13, 14 tells us that the Lord Messiah would return upon the Mount of Olives. I believe the Mount of Olives, hey, the Mount of Olives is still there. You can go and check it out. There's pictures. I've shown you pictures of it. It hasn't been wiped off the map, even though everyone's tried to, <laughs> because Jesus is going to return there. It says so in the Word of God. When is that going to occur? That can happen at any time. Let's be ready for Jesus to return. Amen? Be filled with the Spirit. Trust in it. He will protect you. He will lead you. And we are to, with joy, proclaim that Jesus is alive today. And He loves sinners. He will save the sinner if you put your trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Awesome. Why don't you guys stand with me? We'll sing.